Welcome to episode 380 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. You know, lest anybody think that what happens here is not organic, I, I presume if you listen to us talk for any length of time, and I'm talking like length of time, like go back to like the episodes in the 100s, or if you're super brave, go back to like the episodes in the 10s or the 50s. And what you'll be immediately reminded of is one, as shocking as it is, we were worse then than we are now. <laughs> and two, that... Just as there was now, there was then no nets in the way that we recorded. This is just like what you hear is what you get. Only a few times have we actually, and you're very kind with this, have you like interceded to do some editing? I think one of those times was when I knocked over a bottle of kombucha on the desk <laughs> while we were recording. And there was just like pandemonium. That's like the few things that will actually inspire some kind of intercession when it comes to putting together the podcast. And so when we get on and talk, like when we set this whole thing up, sometimes we get it right after it. And sometimes you and I are just talking because we're <laughs> catching up on life and everything that's happened. It just so happened that this was one of those times we were just talking and catching up on life and having a good time. And so what that means, though, unfortunately, for all of our dear brothers and sister listeners is that they're going to cut into like our recording time. <laughs> Actually, maybe that's a great benefit to them. It's true. And so what we decide is we're just going to do right into the topic tonight. So we're just going to save. We'll just defer, if you will, like rain check our affirmations and denials. Uh, we didn't even check. Did you actually have affirmations, denials that I, you would have otherwise used? I did. But I feel like all of those people that usually say to us, give us like one star reviews, they're like affirmations and denials are too long. So I'm expecting a five star review after this because we have no affirmations and denials today. We're going straight into the topic. This is your one episode like of out of like 372 that we're, you know, this one we're actually going to go right in. So let's go right in because I realize I'm, I'm, there's so much irony in me like prolonging it by even giving more prolegomena to why the episode is going to sound like this. So if you've been with us for this new series, we're tracking with, we're getting into all this armor of God. And now we're starting to get into the pieces, which is like super fun. So on this episode, we're going to talk about all things. Let's talk about shoes. Let's talk about shoe leather. You know, I love that analogical language. Let's talk about marathons. Let's talk about the gospel. It's all there for us. And it's so lovely that Paul just puts it right out in Ephesians 6. I'm just going to start because like we didn't do affirmations. Now. Let me just affirm the gospel message that Paul puts forward in Ephesians 6. Sneaky affirmation. I'm just got reading in uh, verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So this is like, let's talk Nike. Let's talk ultra. Let's talk shoes. Let's talk the gospel. Where do you want to begin? I, it's just 
we've only been recording for like less than four minutes. This is just so foreign to me that we're already talking about the topic. So where do you want to start? I don't even know where to start. Uh, I think probably the best thing to do is just to, to talk through the passage itself directly. One of the things that I have always found um, a strange feature of this text is how often people preach it as though the gospel itself is what you're putting on your feet. Is the shoes. Right. But that's not actually what the text says. This is just another example of like, if we slow down and read the text, uh, you know, word for word, bit by bit, we actually sometimes come across something very different than what we think we come across. So what we're putting on our feet in this passage, what Paul is commanding to put on your feet is not the gospel itself, right? It's the readiness that is given to you by the gospel, which we'll get into it. But like, isn't that just a beautiful picture of what it means to do good works for the Lord is that it's not, it's not the good works that are the gospel. The gospel is what gives us the readiness to do the good works. So I, I think this passage, this section here is all about sanctification. It's all about working for the Lord, being ready to do the battle that is in front of us because we're coming to the battle as those who have already been justified, not as those who are working out our justification. Yeah, that's really well said. It strikes me that Paul is like kind of, no, he's not kind of, he is emphasizing this gospel piece is the mission, it is the goal, the promulgation of it, the proclamation of it is a thing that we ought to be after. And so what we need is the right equipment or the preparedness for that, which is why I went to the NASB 95 version here to emphasize that. So it's a bit like saying for any task that you're going to go out and do outside your home. So we, my wife and I just had this conversation because she has like some like epic style slippers that are like maybe more shoes than slippers, but like my slippers are like indoor slippers. They're domesticated. Yeah. But like when she wants to go to get the mail, the preparedness that she puts on her body is her slippers, which are equip her to go out and do that thing to accomplish its end. It isn't the slippers that are the mail. It's the slippers that bring the preparedness to go get the mail or to do the activity and the action. And so in that way, she's shotting herself, so to speak, with everything that is required to undertake that end. So there's something I think that maybe we miss in this, and I think you're right, where there is a little bit of like purposeful derivativeness in the way that Paul is explaining this. And we can use other parallel passages. There's a lot. God has a thing for for feet and for this sense of like the beautiful nature of the feet. But the feet, of course, are attached to a person, and it is in representing the person who is doing this action, who is equipped for this goal. So when we come to like Isaiah 52, 7, which reads, how beautiful upon the mountains, I love this actually, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who bring good tidings, who publish peace. So this idea, of course, that it's not like the feet themselves clothed in like, it's not like they're wearing a particular shoe brand. It's like, man, look at those kicks. Like that's where it's at. Like those are good looking kicks. It's that these people equipped to do the Lord's work who are about the Lord's business, fully prepared for that business are beautiful because they're bringing a message And in so doing, in that great preparedness that they've undertaken by the power of the Holy Spirit, we find them to be winsome and appealing to bring us that which we very need. And so in so doing, we attach to them this great celebration because, and why wouldn't we? You're the one who brought the thing that we were waiting for. Like, I don't know, I suppose like if you were waiting for an amazing like package, when the UPS or like the Amazon delivery person rolls up, you don't know them, they're disconnected from the passage and stuff, but like, them delivering it to you, you might want to hug them if it's something that you've long been waiting for. I don't know if that's ever happened, but it could. 
I feel like you might have the police called on you if you run out and hug the Amazon person that brings your stuff. It might not be a great idea. Well, you know what I'm getting at here. Yeah. Like, there's something amazing we attach to like both negatively and positively, but the messenger who brings to us the tidings of good news, who publishes or promulgates a message that changes us, we by association some of that message is conveyed, the beauty, the joy, the outworkings of it is conveyed to the person who brought it. Yes. They're not wearing it per se, but the fact that they would be equipped to go and do that and to bring it to us means that they in themselves and the things, quote unquote, they're wearing are altogether beautiful. Yeah. This is another passage of actually, and it surprised me how many times we see this in just this little area. Where our English translations, they're trying, they're trying really hard to put this into like nice, neat English phrasing. But just like we found with um with the breastplate or the belt of truth, the word belt isn't in the uh, isn't in the right. translation. Shoes also isn't here. So there's like all these redundant right. words in English. So in in Greek, literally, it's binding on your feet the readiness given or the readiness of the gospel of peace. So like, it's not, it's not that, um, just like when we talk about the belt of truth, it's not as though, um, the belt of truth is this thing you're putting on you. Truth itself is the belt. It's not a true belt. It's that truth is what holds you up and girds you on. Right. Exactly. It's not that we have shoes that are somehow characterized as readiness. Readiness itself is what is strapped onto our feet. We literally yes. strap, literally, we, we, in the text here, <laughs> we strap truth on our, or we strap readiness on our feet. So it's, it's this picture of preparedness and of running, right? It, it's intentional that these are feet. It's intentional that this is the thing you have to put on your feet in order to cover distance. Right, most um, a soldier's footwear in the Roman legion or the Roman armies was not. Uh, it wasn't like they were wearing like metal boots. These were shoes that were intended to allow them to cover distance. Right, so they weren't like big, heavy armored boots. They were like straps. They were basically like flat pieces of leather that got tied onto your feet so that you could cover ground. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about like defending our feet. We're talking about preparing our feet so that we can move. And this is what I think is really key in this passage too. Um, we're in the context of talking about a spiritual battle, right? That's the whole lead up to this, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're in this battle. We've talked about the fact that we put on truth. That's what a sober assessment of the reality of the spiritual darkness that we're fighting against. That's That's what we're talking about here. But what is it that prepares us for this battle? It's the gospel of peace, right? Like there's something really beautiful about that. There's like this, um, almost like this jujitsu reversal of energies kind of thing going on, right? A lot of martial arts, um, isn't about meeting force with force. It's about redirecting force in an advantageous way, right? You redirect a punch so that they move past you and it opens up their guard so you can get in there, right? That's that's the way it is. There's something really beautiful about the fact that we meet this spiritual battle by being ready because we've been given the gospel of peace. Yes. So we come to this battle not as those who are unsettled or those who are warlike or are quarrelsome, but we come to this battle 
as those who are are clothing our feet, we're putting on our feet the readiness that we have because we exist in this state of gospel peacefulness. Right? There's a settledness in our spirit. There's a a stability and a peacefulness in our souls that prepares us for this battle, that gives us this readiness for this battle. And I think that's that to me, that's the main takeaway here. I haven't read it yet, but um, Ryan Holiday, who's who's done a lot of the Stoic philosophy, the modern Stoic philosophy that I've been reading, he has one of his books called Stillness is the Key. And that's like a major principle in a lot of Stoic writing. And I think it's I think it's just a common grace principle. Is we are at our strongest, we're at our most formidable, we're at our least likely to be defeated when we are settled and stable, right? In Stoic philosophy, it's all about settled and stable in your kind of like innermost being. So that way, like things can't rock your world. But in terms of this spiritual battle, we're steady and stable because the spirit of God dwells in us, because we rest on the crucifixion, we rest on the death and resurrection of Christ. We're steady, steady and stable. It's hard to say. We're steady and stable, and we're not going to be overwhelmed with like this uneasiness that oftentimes comes with battles. Yeah, there's something here where there is, I think, like a contrariety to your point. So we have, of course, Christ who is gentle and lowly, but he's also the conquering one, and this peace is both the the firm, the fixed assurance, the truth fixed in the heavens, that God is who he says he is, that he saves the people unto himself. And that, as we've said many times before, he never, ever delivers up the baby to be left on the doorstep. And so the work that he begins, he will see to completion. And this is like a great bomb, if nothing else, for the soul. And even more than that, it's this firm rock on which to stand, that nothing can shake us because we know that we're Christ's and he secures us and he saves us forever stop. Beyond that, I think the other part that I glean from this is that there is this contrariety in which there really is no battle for Christ. So when we're talking about this spiritual conflict that's taking place, the end is already known from the beginning. He's so powerful that really, is there anything that is too great for our God? Is there anything that can thwart his outstretched arm? So that when we talk about this being a battle, we know that Christ is going to level all the places so his enemies can't run from the hills. And so nobody will embarrass him. And in fact, he's going to embarrass all of his enemies. And so even here, we have this runner coming. And of course, the purpose of the runner, I mean, where of course we get this idea of like a marathon race is from the Battle of Marathon, from somebody running to bring news about the outcome of the conflict, because there wasn't like Fox News, there wasn't CNN, there was you know, Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days, Snoop Laser Snake, whatever social media like we <laughs> use, it of course, didn't exist. We waited for the runner, this person to come and to give everything that they had physically to come and deliver this message. And there would always be, I presume, the sense of even if you saw this person coming from afar, whether or not as you waited breathlessly, Was it going to be good news or was it going to be bad news? And here there's only good news. And the good news is that Christ is conqueror, that he is king. And so we have a peace because the battle is already when we go in with all of that full authority vouchsafed to us. And then also to your point, a peace that no harm can truly befall us. That if, as we talked about in the creeds and confessions, if everything is truly subservient to our salvation, 
if there is one who is on the throne that is over, who is over all things and controls all things, works all things for good, then that kind of peace is the ultimate victory. And so really what we're doing, I think, is putting on that. But to your point, it's not like you wear it like fashion. It becomes the thing that equips you. So like, it's a bit like saying, if you're going to go run the 500, if you're going to go run hurdles, you put on the right equipment to go and do that thing. If you're going to run the marathon, you ought to have the right equipment. You're going to need some gels. You're going to need some water stops. You're probably going to need shoes of, of some kind. And that preparedness is what's necessary. But the preparedness, yeah, I mean, this is such a deep metaphor, isn't it? Because like the, the preparedness isn't the thing that's achieved. The preparedness is a thing that allows you to participate in what is already being achieved, as it were. Yeah. So it's in this way, what we find is that God equips us with this very thing. But it's also, again, like another kind of understated piece of this armor, because the belt is kind of like, uh, like the West, particularly, like we got belts all the time, or don't wear a belt, or wear a fancy belt, or do I wear a dress belt or a reversible belt? Like, it doesn't matter. And with shoes, like how many different shoes can we talk about here? But the point is more not in what the shoe does, but what it allows us, in fact, to do. Yes. And so in this way, I think Paul is drawing us back to that essential purpose. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we think about the nature of our spiritual battle, we think about what we're up against. And and with all of what we said about the fact that the battle is a foregone conclusion, we come into the battle already having won, all of that is true. But it's still, we still have to fight the battle, right? This is like the constant paradox in Reformed theology is, yes, God has decreed all things, and all things unfold according to the counsel of his will and according to his decrees, yet they still have to unfold, right? It's not as though God's decreed it and it all happens in a single instant. It still unfolds in time. It still unfolds according to secondary causes. This is a similar kind of thing, is that although the battle is a foregone conclusion and that foregone conclusion is victory, that we will stand in the evil day, we will withstand, we still have to be prepared and we still have to, we still have to fight that battle, right? And I think that's what this underscores, is we have to come to this battle understanding that the victory is in Christ both for justification, but also for sanctification. And I think, um, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about so much with the breastplate of righteousness, but but comes up in some of the commentaries, um, it came up in Gurnall, is there's this this twofold understanding of righteousness, right? There's There's the legal righteousness that we receive from Christ in justification, but then there is a sort of inherent or an intrinsic... Um, righteousness that accrues to us as we actually walk out in obedience, right? So this parallels that in that we are given this preparedness and this readiness from the gospel of peace, but that readiness is for a purpose, right? And we got to remember this is coming This is coming in the, the book of Ephesians, right? This isn't abstracted from what Paul says in chapter two, right? That we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, but for works, right? right? The the fact that we are saved in order to and unto righteousness and good works is a part of the gospel. And I know that there are some quarters of, of quote-unquote Reformed Christianity. I would say they're not Reformed Christians. It's not actually Reformed theology if you hold this view. 
But there are some sectors of, quote, reformed theology that would like balk at the fact that we are actually saved unto good works and that that salvation unto good works is actually part of the gospel. And this is where I think where I think this passage takes us is that we should be thankful for the fact that God has provided a way for us to actually have victory in the battle, not right. just in like the future state, right? There's this sector of reformed theology that's like, everything's terrible now. We're all just dirty, rotten sinners. We're never going to have any progress or any victory or any, any righteousness in this world. We just actually have to look to the future state where God takes care of all of that crap. That's not actually what Reformed theology teaches, and that's not the gospel, right? The gospel is, um, yes, we are justified by grace through faith alone without our works and without reference to our works, but we are justified by grace through faith without reference to our works, but not to the exclusion of our works. And that's really key, and I think that's where we're going here. Yeah, there's a lot here that I think we could spend like four or five hours unpacking. And I don't want to push this analogical language too far. There's a lot, again, that's written in the scripture that help us interpret this passage about feet, about feet on the mountains, about the beautiful nature of those feet. And to me, the more I just process it, the more I think about the feet, of course, of the mechanism by which like that euangelion, that good news is literally and physically brought to all the places of the world. And so there's something beautiful about you're basically crediting somebody saying like, well, how amazing are your legs that brought you to my place? They won't speak often like that, but if we had to like trace it and distill it down to an explanation or and some kind of articulation of what it means to rejoice that somebody used energy and their body to bring and deliver to you the thing that brought you rescue then we'd say that. I mean, like, how gracious is the life preserver that was thrown to me while I was drowning? You know, all of these are expressions that there is such a thing as amazing news. There is such a thing as something that's life-changing that totally and dramatically reverses the course of who we were, that saves us from immediate and grave peril. And the news here is this news of ultimate victory of God, of his victory over the forces of chaos the one who redeems his people, who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And it's pretty beautiful that his feet are her feet are traversing the land, bringing that message either by vehicle or by walking or by running, whatever it is, to publish, to proclaim these really, really good tidings. And there's a lot of peace in that, isn't there? Yeah. This piece that says like the battle is already won. The battle for you and your salvation has already been rest and rest aside and, and set aside and secured. So there is a blessing from God for the privilege of participating in God's plan of redemption. And this is a call. I think as much as this armor, like we talked about, is proactive, it is meant to put you on the front lines. It's also meant to say, go out, go and send, you know, in the same way Paul talks about in Romans 4, like, how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? Well, the people who bring the message are the ones who presumably do that with their feet. So this metaphor is like profound and consistent throughout. The last thing I want to say like about something that strikes me personally about this in terms of like you often hear this feet metaphor with terrain. And certainly I think that's not less than implying what Paul is saying here. He understands what it means to be in battle. He understands that, you know, these soldiers, for instance, would have traversed large territories that they would have walked and then they would have been ready to gird up their loins and to run into battle. And they would have been able to do this like 
the first thing that the first principle you have to be able to do in battle, presumably, is to move effectively, to move your body, to run into it. If you're tripping over yourself, there's no way you can be an effective soldier. Like the first principle is like, let's run without falling. Let's get into the battle like easily and expeditiously. So to that end, I think about my own life and I think about the running that I've tried to do. I have a dear brother who really loves what I would call like mountain running, which is just like trail running. I do not love trail running because I'm super lazy because when I go for a run, I prefer to be on pavement because it means I don't have to look at my feet and all this idea of like traversing terrain. So there's a battle there that's I think metaphorically represented, but physically this idea that too, if you're going to run on any mountain, which presumably is to say that it's not a well-trod path. And even if like you can think of the most well-trod paths that you've hiked on a mountain, that is to say they're still particularly treacherous and you ought to look at your feet. You need to be light. You need to have a certain discernment about you. You need to be constantly focused and disciplined in your approach. And this bringing of the gospel is exactly that kind of thing. It is running, not just with like with speed or reckless abandon or like a little kid or like Naruto running. You can't Naruto run the mountain. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can because you have to be consciously on the balls of your feet light. And again, I'm not trying to push this metaphor too far, but merely to say for all of this like specific language about terrain, as opposed to saying like run on the track or run on the road, this idea that the, the proclamation of the gospel is in fact difficult and requires discipline and requires some kind of endurance. And so all of this is predicated on what Paul is saying. That's why we need to be prepared because the, the gospel isn't a sprint. It is in fact like a marathon where yeah. we start and we get tired and we get exhausted and we trip up on it because we haven't been paying attention or have gotten sloppy with our feet placement. And so what we need is not better shoes because if you're unprepared, it doesn't matter what kind of equipment you have. Yeah. What you prefer is to be better trained, to be better able, if that makes sense. And so that I think is really what Paul is after here. That's like the thing like you and I have been talking about like since we started on like episode one, which is like to be fully equipped for every good work is to not have the work done for you, but to be prepared to engage the work as God unfolds it in your life yeah. to give you that kind of radical endurance so that even your resting, as we might say in running, it's like a resting run. You know, you never actually stop. Maybe you slow your pace a little bit. Maybe you have to pick up your feet a little bit. Maybe you have to say to yourself, take up those knees and make sure that you clear the rocks and the roots and everything that's underneath your feet. But that you want to be prepared for the run. It's, it's just no, like, I, I can't tell you um, how many times I've gone to uh, like local races in my community and been in the starting block or the starting corral next to somebody. And I look at them and I think, oh my, this guy or this woman is going to like destroy me. Like they just look so perfect. Like they've got the, all the equipment, the nicest shoes I can see, man, those are like the Nike flies. Like these guys have got to be good. And we start to run and they go out and within like maybe two minutes, they're, they're already stopping. No, maybe it's just a bad day, yeah. but it reminds you that like, like you, listen, you can have all the best equipment in all the world, but if you're not well-trained, trained up in righteousness, I guess, as it were, ready with that preparation, shod with that preparation for like the gospel, then it doesn't matter like how much education you had or, you know, like maybe what your pitch is or whether or not like, you know, you can draw a diagram, but it really is about what is, how rooted are we in Christ? and how prepared are we to continue to move forward in righteous obedience to him, the obedience that he kind of provides? 
Yeah. The other thing I think we should um, at least kind of like touch on with sort of these metaphors of running and preparation is part, part of, you know, I haven't been running because it's New Hampshire. And if you run on the street, you'll get hit by a plow and die. So I haven't been running outside too much. But part of part of what I learned when I was running regularly is like just keeping going is what you need to do. Like it, it's right. not always about it, it's almost uh, I should say it's not usually if ever about actually like speed. If you're trying to just get get the like steps in and the miles in, it's about just keeping going. And so like here's here's um this is Matthew Henry commenting on this. I think he puts it really well. He says, quote, the preparation of the gospel of peace signifies a prepared and resolved frame of heart to adhere to the gospel and abide by it, which will enable us to walk with a steady pace in the way of religion, notwithstanding the difficulties and dangers that may be in it. It is styled the gospel of peace because it brings all sorts of peace, peace with God and ourselves and with one another. It may also be meant of that which prepares for the entertainment of the gospel, namely repentance. With this, our feet must be shod, for by living a life of repentance, we are armed against temptation to sin and the designs of our great enemy. And I think that that's a major part of this. And again, this is why it comes in the context of the spiritual battle, is part of living the Christian life and being successful in the Christian life, I'm going to get all sorts of hate mail on this, but part of being successful in the Christian life is that you just keep going. Like You don't give up. You don't stop. You don't um, you don't coast, right? And it's kind of the same thing when you're running. Like you can't coast when you're running because if you coast, you just stop. Like if you stop pumping your legs, you're not going anywhere, right? If you stop pumping your legs, then you're not running anymore. And I think right. that's part of this is that we need to be living a life. All, all of the um, caveats of Reformed theology that this is God's work, all of that included, right? This is now episode 380 people who've been with us for a long time know that we're not saying like you can just that you can earn your salvation or that it's our effort that accomplishes anything, right? Some sanctification is God's work in us, not our work with along with God. But all of that to say, we still have to keep pumping our legs. You still have to be ready to keep running. And the way that you keep running is this ongoing life of repentance, this ongoing life of confessing your sins, trusting the Lord to forgive you your sins and to empower you for the race. That's the readiness that comes uh, from the gospel of peace, right? It's not a readiness of like a rest on your laurels. It's not a readiness of like the battles won so I can sit back and relax. It's a readiness to know that I rest on the gospel. And this is, this is, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but like, there's a sort of a Tullian Tavidian branch of Reformed theology, although Tullian is a Lutheran now, um, so take that for what it's worth. But there was a sort of a Tullian Tavidian perspective where he would say that because we're justified, we're free to try without fear of what happens if we fail, right? He'd say you're free to fail. So you can try to be a good husband and you can fail and that is somehow okay. I think that the what the Reformed perspective and what the Bible actually teaches is that you're free to try, not because you're free to fail, but because you actually are empowered to succeed, right? We actually are empowered when we repent to please the Lord, right? Our good works, although they are imperfect because they are offered in Christ, they can genuinely please the Lord. 
because we are in Christ, when we resist the devil, he actually flees from us. It's not just a, it's not just a drama. It's not play acting. When we resist the devil, because of what God has done in our life, our resistance actually causes the devil to flee. We can actually right. overcome the devil because of what Christ has done in our lives. That is the readiness that the gospel gives us. It's not a readiness just to like coast. It's not a readiness to um, to be able to like make it through. It's not a readiness to be prepared for some future state where God um, restores us and, and where God takes away all of our sin. That's true, but it's a readiness for that to be in the already, even as it will be consummated in the not yet, right? We talk about the already and the not yet. Far too many Reformed Christians talk about the not yet to the exclusion of the already. And that that is what this passage is talking about. The preparation that comes, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace is a readiness to recognize and to live out the fact that we are actually able to make progress in the Christian life. We are actually able to resist temptation, not perfectly, not completely, but really and actually. And I think that's something that we just, we cannot let go. We cannot overlook that. Yeah. I like that. Matthew Henry says that that readiness, that preparedness you're talking about is having a resolved frame of heart. And that is, I think this idea that we embrace the gospel, not just for salvation, Again, that's like a classroom from which we never graduate, but we cling to that good news daily as a needed support in the midst of this battle. So in other words, if God's truth is firmly fixed in the heavens, then he tells us the truth about the way the world is. And that is that one, we got a bunch of Romans one action going on. And two, that we've got like a bunch of Ephesians one going on that bring those things together. We know that the world has exchanged the truth for a lie, but that those whom God has called have been made alive together in and with Christ. And so that means that we are prepared then to face things because we're constantly like cycling that truth, as it were, back through the filter, that we are prepared to your point that we can make victory through Christ, that we haven't somehow again, like elevate ourselves to the place deserving poor and come forward with hands that are empty, but because of God's great mercy, he has made us alive together with Christ. And then I would say like the second part of that to add to Matthew Henry, if I can be so bold, is to say like, it's a resolved frame of the heart. And that frame of the heart is both the confidence that God is going to fulfill his promises that again are fixed in the heavens, but also like this readiness is readiness to run into situations where the gospel desperately needs to be proclaimed. And that's like both in big and small ways, isn't it? It's the person that's hurting in your workplace. It's reaching out and saying like, would you be okay? Would it be okay if I prayed for you? It's that word of encouragement, that word of conviction, all these things are essentially being at the block and being ready to go when the time comes. And I think it's probably more in small ways than it is in large ways. I'm not necessarily saying that this is being ready to immediately divest of all your assets and go overseas, although it could be that thing. But probably more likely, it's just to push out a little bit in our sphere of influence, to be a little bit more ready and receptive, to get to know the names of our neighbors, to actually have interaction with them. And to be ready when the time comes to give a defense for the gospel and also to, again, just to publish this gospel. We, you know, we are people now who live in a world of our own brands, who have social media to express our own thoughts and our own ideas that at least for many people belong uniquely to us. And we like to advertise as our published of who we are. What would it look like if instead what we're saying is we're just always publish Christ 
and we're going to be ready, shod with the preparedness, so that when the time comes, it's just like we just like go. Like when the gun is fired, all of the training, all of the sprints, all the suicide runs, all the hill workouts that you've done were for that moment so that you might perform exceptionally well. And to your point, I think the old heuristic is very true here. You know, it's this idea that when it comes to practice, that is important. And we talked a lot about like, yes, we have to study things. We have to learn things with the intent idea that we are going to be able to put those into practice as God enables us and provides us opportunities. So it's that old adage that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yep. And so when we take that into our theology, when we really metabolize that, we're like, we're meriting ourselves in the scriptures. We're present on the Lord's day. We're listening to the proclamation of the gospel, both actually the law and the gospel. We're participating in the Lord's supper. We are baptized that all of these things are in some way creating this preparedness for us through the power of Christ and his great work in our lives so that we are actually ready. And it's, I want to be ready. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I want to be ready. I want to, I want to have this shoe leather because it's like the perfect metaphor. I'm always saying like, let's put shoe leather on this theology. Yeah. This is like the ultimate, like Paul first got it. And I want to be prepared so that when the times arise that both like in my own life, when either great trials come or when great doubts appear, or just when there's a temptation to believe something that is a lie that there is already a preparedness to revert, to come back to the first principles of the gospel. And then beyond that, what is outside of myself for the service of my family and my friends, the loved ones, the congregation, the part of God's family to which I belong, and to those who are not yet believers, that I would be ready to deliver that good word, that gospel message, not just good ideas, not just good thoughts, not even like I mean, I don't want to turn this conversation too much, but I th interpret some of this preparedness as I think sometimes in the modern context, we might have a slight overemphasis on like the, excuse the expression, like the conversion experience for a non-believer is like the long con. I'm not sure it always has to be that way. Like, in other words, maybe this preparedness is you don't actually have to wait for somebody to invite you deeply and intimately into their life before you say something like, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Or it seems yeah. like you're really hurting right now. And I want to I want to tell you about uh, Jesus uh, because he is the rescuer. And yeah. to be bold in that way, I think, is to be prepared, right? How can you be bold if you're not prepared? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you just initiated a whole nother episode. I know. So I know. maybe we'll put a pin in that and come back to it in a future episodes. But I, I, you, I you think you're, I think you're absolutely there? right. Like, there's a time and a place for the quote long con. I don't know that I would call it that, but the long con evangelism. Uh, there's a time and place for like building long relationships and sharing the gospel. Of in course, context. of course. But that hasn't been the dominant mode of evangelism for the church for most yeah, of its history. Right, so right. maybe maybe that will be an excursus episode after we get done with the uh, the armor episodes here. But Jesse, I, I think this is a good place for us to wrap it up because again, we've been saying this the whole time. A lot of these themes are going to keep coming up, right? That we shouldn't we shouldn't read the armor of faith as like a bunch of discrete things that fit as like a jigsaw puzzle. It's a it's a single theme that Paul is rehashing over and over again. 
right? He's coming back and he's using a different analogy, a different metaphor, a different thing. He's tying it all together, but he's really talking about one thing. He's talking about the fact that we we come to this battle, we come to this battle with God's armor and God's power, and we win this battle that way. So the themes are going to keep coming up. So we don't need to like, we don't need to drain every theme on, on one episode. We can come back to it next week. That's true. So next week, we're going to do a little bit of Shield of Faith. We're going to talk about some flaming darts. It's going to be good stuff. There we go. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to do the whole uh, the whole Patreon thing every single week. Uh, you know where to find it if you want to help us out. Uh, you can go to reformbrotherhood.com. You can check out what we've got there. You can buy some some sweet gear. We've got some T-shirts, some hooded sweatshirts. Uh, most of all, what we'd love for you to do, uh, in addition to praying for us, which we definitely cover your prayers, um, we would ask you to join our Telegram chat. So you can go to Reform Brotherhood, uh, sorry, telegram.com. That's not right either. Nope. You go to t.me slash Reform Brotherhood. Uh, most people can probably hear it in my voice. I'm struggling That's with the it. cold, so I'm kind of like, I've had to like mute the microphone and cough a bunch. Um, you go to t.me slash Reform Brotherhood. You can join our Telegram chat. That's where this topic uh, came up with somebody suggested it in the topics uh, sub channel there. But you can go there. You can ask for prayer requests. You can find ways to pray for people. You can read Reformed Systematic Theology by Joel Beakey and chat with people about it. Uh, you can share memes. You can do all the stuff you normally do online, except be a tool, which is what most people do online. But people don't do that in our Telegram chat. So it's it's pretty sweet place on the internet, I think. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't explain how that's that's where it was just going to end. It was like you were saying, like we have a zero tool policy. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not strictly enforced because it doesn't need to be because that's, that's the grace of God in all of our lives that we come together and we have reasonable conversation with one another. Yeah, come hang out with us, would you? Like if you've been thinking about that for a while, or you've heard us say it a million times, and you haven't done it, it's certainly worth doing it. Listen, we all need the gospel, and I love that among all of many of the episodes, once again, we find ourselves exactly back in the gospel, but in a very explicit way, because we have Paul talking about like this peace, this gospel that comes to us. And it's just amazing that there's a reminder that we need to preach it to ourselves. We need to preach it to others. It is the best news in all the land. And so how remarkable would it be if we could be the kind of people, if we become the kind of people who others rejoice in because they say, like, Tony, you brought the good news to me and I love you. Like th there is like a joy in that. There is a great reward and blessing of obedience in being that way. And maybe this passage just helps us to see it from a slightly different perspective. Not that we undertake this mission so that we might receive praise, but we undertake it because we've been changed by it, because God commands it. And because we know it brings peace both to us and to others around us whom God draws onto himself. So it's always good to be reminded that the gospel is for everybody all the time, always. And presumably we'll spend all of eternity still thinking, yeah, the gospel is my jam. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. You don't graduate from the gospel, even, even in the True. next, the next world, the gospel is just for gospel. Christians uh, just as much as it is for non-Christians. It's like stacks on stacks on stacks yeah. on stacks of gospel, right? It's true. I don't know where the stacks on stacks comes from. That feels like that should be, I should know what that is, but I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's not this very general phraseology, except with respect to the gospel. But I think we've also, like you at one point coined, I, know, I can't remember, what was it that was the cake? Was it the gospel is the cake or salvation is the cake? Somebody made a like a 
a t-shirt or a yeah it was beautiful yeah i can't remember we're 380 deep so i think salvation is the cake is salvation the cake i think salvation is the cake yeah i it was a great i remember it being a pretty epic uh, it hit me i'm embarrassed now i can't remember exactly how it hit me but i remember it did in fact, hit me. I'm it's sure great. that someone will drop it in the Telegram chat as soon as this episode. <laughs> and you can go find it by going to t.me backslash reformed brotherhood. All right, Tony. I think, listen, this we're going to give everybody, uh, here's a phrase. Can I be honest with you for just a second? Yeah, please. I think, I feel like you're honest with me for most of the seconds, but. It's it's true. That's just what people say when they're about to get like real and very intimate. So here we go. Let's have an intimate moment. You and I have talked about I think it was a couple of episodes ago in the denial section about some of the phraseology that I dislike in corporate America. Here's one I really dislike, but I'm going to use. We're we're under the hour, people. So we're going to give you some time back right now. Uh, I think the funniest part is that we're like, let's cut affirmations and denials and keep this short. And we're really only like a few minutes shorter than we normally go. So. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. This is what the gospel does, right? You give us more time. That's what the gospel does. It is the sham wow. It soaks up all the time because it's that great. You can talk about it forever and for eternity, and we will. And if this podcast went forever, forever with no end, it would all be gospel level. And so with that said, I'm just going to call it, Tony. Are you okay with that? Let's do it. Yeah, let's give people some time back by saying, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. world.